We are on Yevamos Samach Zayin, Amabay 67b, and we are in the middle of the Gemara uh, discussing and embellishing upon the Bryce that was quoted in the last recording. In essence, we are discussing the different positions about the scenario where there is a Kohen, the husband is a Kohen, he's married to a woman who is not born as a Kohen, but once she gets married, she's allowed to eat truma, the special food that's given to a Kohen. And what happens if there's a scenario where uh, the husband passes away, however, he passes away at the time when his wife is pregnant. And so there's a fetus. And there's different scenarios. Sometimes the fetus has it. There are other siblings who are already alive. Um, Sometimes there aren't. We discuss different scenarios. And ultimately the question becomes, uh, does this fetus... uh, inherit from the father's estate and assuming that he does so then he also would inherit the non-Jewish slaves the non-Jewish slaves that the husband that the father owns and then the question is does that give permission for these non-Jewish slaves to eat truma does he allow them to now eat truma because they are now working for this fetus who is potentially a Kohen potentially not a Kohen. This is all part of the discussion. Maybe he's not a Kohen. Maybe as a fetus, as we pointed out in previous recordings, this fetus is uh, attains the status of the mother until it is born, which would be fascinating that until it's born, it has the status of the mother who was not born as a Kohen. And then once it, it's born, so then it does have the status of a Kohen. Uh, maybe, it do, maybe the entire time it has the status of a Kohen because once it's born, it'll be a Kohen. So maybe even as a fetus, it'll be a Kohen. But even so... Uh, the fetus will not allow his non-Jewish slaves to eat truma based on uh, based on a, a specific way of how to read and expound upon the verse. Um, so this is all part of the discussion. So essentially we have one last opinion to uh, to analyze, and that's the opinion of Rishmael Berub Yossi over Mishim Aviv. He said in the name of his father, Habas Ma'achel Aben Enamachel. The Gemara is assuming at this point in time that we're discussing, it's unclear exactly what the case is, uh, but the Gemara assumes that the case is where there's a fetus, where there's the, the, the husband the, the husband slash father passed away, the mother now is pregnant, uh, and but she has, they've had children together in the past. And so one is a scenario where there are, uh, there's a sister, and another scenario is where there's a brother. If there's a sister uh, so then the non-Jewish slaves are allowed to eat truma. If was, there's a brother, they're not allowed to eat. And the Gemara says, what's the difference? It doesn't really make any sense. If, when there's another brother, we say that the, the non-Jewish slaves are not allowed to eat truma because they are owned partially by the fetus, uh, so then the same thing should be true if they're sisters. Well, why would you differentiate between the What's the difference between brothers and sisters? So the Gemara is going to give one answer. The Gemara will, will reject that first answer, that first suggestion, and then it will conclude with a second answer. And so that's what the Gemara does until the next Mishnah. Just a brief introduction before we even begin the first suggestion uh, to help us with this first suggestion is that on a biblical level, if a person has sons and daughters, so then only the sons inherit from the estate of the deceased. Uh, the daughters do not inherit uh, at all. Um, however, um, if they're not married, then they have to be. They have to be supported. 
but however, if it's a scenario where there is not that much uh, of value in the estate, they have very little to live off, so then the Rabban and the rabbis made a decree to say that, you know what, we're going to flip it. And the daughters, it's not right for the daughters to go door to door. So the daughters, they will get whatever there is. And the sons will make them go door to door to find food, uh, to put food on the table and to support themselves. And so if it's a scenario where they really don't have that much, so then we, we the rabbis, uh, or they, the rabbis, they instituted that uh, they will uh, change what is normally done on a biblical level to have it that uh, the the daughters will inherit in that case. And so that's what Abayi says. Our case here is uh, where uh, they have uh, very little left from the estate. There isn't that much left. And the cases where we have the fetus, we certainly have the fetus, but we also have their brothers and sisters. The cases where they're both brothers and sisters. And the bias is as follows. In that scenario, only the girls really inherit from the estate, including the non-Jewish slaves, only the girls inherit. So if this fetus is a boy, so then he certainly does not inherit. Because just like the boy who's a, who's a living being, independent living being, uh, he also does not inherit. So, so too, when it comes to the fetus, he doesn't inherit. And let's say the fetus ends up being a girl, So the Gemara says, and if the fetus is a girl, you know what the rabbi said, the girls should inherit. Why? Because we're not going to make them go door to door. But we're discussing a fetus here. We're not going to change the rules for a fetus. The fetus is surviving based on the mother. The fetus is certainly not going door to door, right? So we're not going to create, we're not going to institute uh, this uh, this ruling when it, uh, when it, with regards to the fetus. There's a sister alive. Okay, so we'll give everything to the sister. But the fetus won't get anything, as the Gemara pointed out. If it ends up being a boy, boys don't get in this scenario. If it ends up being a girl, girls get, but they don't get if it's a fetus. So therefore, this fetus, the point is, is that by his understanding that this fetus will never uh, inherit from the non-Jewish slaves. We'll never inherit the non-Jewish slaves because this fetus will never inherit. If it ends up being a boy, they don't get anything in this scenario. If it ends up being a girl, so then she also doesn't get anything as a fetus. As a fetus, she wouldn't get anything. Uh, and so therefore, she will never inherit from the non-Jewish slaves. And that's why the non-Jewish slaves are, in fact, allowed to eat truma because we assume that it goes to the sister, to the live sister, uh, and she will inherit it and she'll allow uh, those non-Jewish slaves to eat truma because... She's a daughter of a Kohen. So the Gemara questions this. This is all one suggestion, but the Gemara questions this and says, Slow down. This is all part of a Brisa. And you're going to tell me that the Brisa is discussing a case where uh, they have uh, limited uh, value within the estate. It doesn't cost that much and that they really don't have that much. If that's the case that you're going to tell me, and that really the daughters inherit and not the sons, opposite from what is supposed to be on a biblical level, well, how do you explain the end of the Brisa? The end of the Brisa says, it has a line by Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, who says that the sons inherit and not the daughters. So so it can't be discussing a case of Nechas and a case where there isn't uh, that much left over from the estate. Um, the Gemara says, Adra, Nechas and Mu'atim, Debanas, Ninhu. 
So the Mar says, no, it's safe also in Nechasim Rubim. The Gemara says, you know what, you're right. You have to switch with the scenario of the case as we go on in the Brisa. The middle part of the Brisa is discussing a case where they don't have that much. The end of the Brisa is saying where they do have more. They have more to say, and therefore only the sons inherit and not the daughters. So that's one way of getting out of it. However, the Gemara then really rejects it. And it says, the Gemara quotes Rabbi Yochanan, who says, while it's true, we make a decree to say that it should go to the girls as opposed to the, to the boys. Because we don't want the girls to go door to door. Right? That's the decree that we made. However, in the end of the day, if the, the male uh, descendant, the male, one who inherits, is a, the boy, the male, if he then goes ahead and he sells the estate, he sells property or he sells different things that he... That, uh, she, really, the, the sister should have inherited because they don't have that much, is viewed as a good sale, meaning in the end of the day, it really, the son has ownership over it. It's just we are trying to take it away from him and give it give it to his sister. So in the end of the day, he really has ownership over it. So if in the end of the day, he really has ownership over it, so if this fetus ends up being a boy, so then in the end of the day, this fetus has ownership over the non-Jewish slaves. And so therefore, the non-Jewish slaves should not be allowed to eat truma, potentially, according to Rabiosi. Uh So... That's uh, that's a pretty strong question because in the end of the day, it's true we will take it away from them. But in the end of the day, if they make such a sale, it would be viewed as a valid sale because they have ownership over it. And so, and so to this fetus, if this fetus ends up being a boy, he then has ownership over the non-Jewish slaves. So essentially, we reject this entire first uh, suggestion. So the Gemara then says, you know what? Elamai bas degatani aim. When it says bas, what does it mean? Bas. It means the mother. It's not really talking about the daughter. It's talking about the mother. The mother, according to according to this explanation, the mother is allowed to eat truma if there are other uh, siblings who are alive. Meaning, it's true she's pregnant, but there are other siblings. As long as long as there are other siblings, so then it's viewed as a continuation of that marriage, even though the husband passed away. And so she's allowed to continue eating truma, even though she wasn't born as a kohen. She married a kohen. The kohen passed away, but there are other other children who are alive. Since her other children were alive, it's viewed as a continuation of that marriage, and she's also allowed to eat truma. Ah, but there's a fetus. It doesn't make a difference. As long as there's one child, so there's one child. It doesn't make a difference that there's also a fetus. She's still allowed to eat truma. It's just that the non-Jewish slaves, the non-Jewish slaves, they can only eat uh, if they are actually fit to eat. So the fetus does play a role, because if the fetus is, the, is their owner, so then they should not be able to eat truma. So the Gemara says, So the Gemara says, in the end of the day, this is the same opinion as Rabiosi. Rabiosi also holds like this, and we mentioned in the Brisa in the last recording that Rabiosi and this opinion are two different opinions. So the Gemara says, no, it's really one opinion. Really, this is all one opinion. So in the end of the day, it's all one opinion. And Rabiosi is of the opinion that if there's a fetus, so then he will not allow his non-Jewish slaves of the of the father to eat truma while he's a fetus because he has partial ownership and he's not allowed to that the non-Jewish slaves are not allowed to eat truma at that point in time. However, the mother certainly could have truma as long as she has other children who are alive. It's a continuation of the marriage, and she certainly is allowed to have truma. Okay, we are now starting a new Mishnah. We have a new Mishnah. Some of the cases overlap, but we are starting a new Mishnah. We will just discuss the very beginning of the Gemara. So most of the Mishnah we will discuss in next week's recording. Ha'ober v'hayavam v'erisin v'acheresh. 
So we have the following cases. First case is Uber. These are all cases where, in either direction, whether it's the daughter of a Kohen who married Yisrael, or whether it's the, the daughter of Yisrael, somebody who's not a Kohen, who married a Kohen, if we're involved in the following different scenarios, they are not allowed to eat truma. Either it puzzles, it disqualifies the daughter of a Kohen from eating truma, or it just doesn't allow the Yisrael, the non-Kohen who married a Kohen to eat truma. In all the following scenarios, they are not allowed to eat truma. The first case, scenario number one is that if a mother only has, has no other children except for the fact that she's pregnant, except for the fetus, and her husband passed away. So, in both directions, if if she's if she was born a Kohen, she's not allowed to eat truma. If she was born a Yisrael who married a Kohen, and then the Kohen passed away, she's also not allowed to eat truma. Case number two is a case of Shomeris Yavam. What happens, let's say, just in one direction, uh, a non-Kohen married, she married a Kohen, the Kohen then passes away, and now she has to do Yibam Chalitza with her brother-in-law. Uh, so she has to do Yibam Chalitza with the brother-in-law. At that stage, at that very stage, we say, you're not allowed to eat truma. She's not allowed to eat truma at that stage. Arison, also, if it was just, if all they did was have a halachic engagement of Arison, they didn't actually get married, they only were engaged, they lived in separate homes, so there too also, they're not allowed to eat truma in both directions. A case of a cheresh, also a cheresh is a deaf-mute, a marriage through a deaf-mute, which the Gemara will discuss later on in, in next week's recording. All the rest of these cases will be discussed next week. Um, what happens if it was a marriage with a nine-year-old boy? A nine-year-old boy, halakhically, we view that as having the ability at that age to have engaged in, in the sexual act itself. And so then that, in such a case, even if he's a Kohen, as we'll see, the Gemara will explain it. They're also not allowed to eat truma. The Gemara, can, the mission continues. In all these cases, even where it's questionable cases, we're not sure if they're nine years old. If they're less than nine years old, she could continue eating truma. But now that she's nine, now that he's nine years old, so that does does that create problems? Or we're not sure if um, if the person is thirteen or not. If the person has had uh, already began have begun to develop pubic hair to make them halachically an adult. Uh, so in all these cases, we're not sure. We're not sure. So it might disqualify it, it might not. And as I explained, it's not clear right now because the Gemara will, will discuss all these cases. And so we're not discussing it right now, but we'll discuss it next week. In all these cases, it disqualifies the mother or the wife from eating truma. Finally, because we're on, the, on a case of, of suffix, of case of questionable scenarios, the Mishnah just has one last case. We had this case, in fact, earlier. What happens if you have a scenario where you have two brothers, and one brother marries his niece? He marries his niece, and then they both die at the same time. Let's say a, a, a building fell on them, God forbid. Um, and they both die. We don't know who died first. But let's say that brother who married the niece was also married to somebody else. So the question is, uh, depending on who died first, there's a, there's a question as to whether or not the co-wife would require chalitza or would be able to do yibam. Why? If the niece dies first, so then he was just married to his one wife, the one who's surviving, and then yibam or chalitza has to take place. However, if he dies first, if the brother dies first, so then at the time of his death, he was married to his niece and he was married to the co-wife, that's called Tsaras Erva. That's something that we had at the very beginning of the tractate. That is called Tsaras Erva, where the co-wife is also exempt from Yibam Rechalitza because she's the co-wife of somebody who herself is exempt because it's 
her brother-in-law is also her father. And so there's a total exemption there from doing Yibam. That would also extend to the co-wife. So depending on who died first, um, that would impact whether or not there's an obligation to do Yibam here. So that's a, that's a suffix scenario. So that the Gemara will also get into. But just to begin the Gemara, the Gemara goes through a few of the first cases. Ha'uber. So what happens if there's just a fetus? There's no other children. There's just a fetus. Why is it? Ibas, Kohen, if she's the daughter of a Kohen, she was born a Kohen at the time of when she was born, she was eating truma, but then she married a Yisrael, somebody who's not a Kohen. So then the Yisrael dies and she's left pregnant. So she doesn't eat truma. She doesn't go back to her father's home because it says Kinureha, as a Nara, as somebody who is not, as opposed to somebody who is pregnant. If she's pregnant, she's not allowed to eat truma. And so turn the other direction, Ibas Yisrael a Kohen, if you have a, the, a, a, a woman who was born as a Yisrael, she then marries a Kohen, the Kohen passes away. Is she allowed to continue eating truma if she's pregnant? The Gemara says no. He lo machila yilud machil sheinulud he lo machila yilud machil sheinulud ina machil. That we say that she's not allowed to eat truma. Why? Because only once this fetus is born. So then we say that this is viewed as a as having the ability to allow her to eat. Because now you have the real extension of that original marriage. The, the fetus is now born. Until the fetus is born, that fetus is not allowed. Uh, his mother to eat truma. Okay, a few more cases. Hayavam. What happens in the case of the Shomeris Yavam, of where we have this uh, woman who was married to the Kohen, then the husband passed away, and they're waiting to do Yibam. Obviously, the Kohen's brother is also a Kohen, and they're waiting to do Yibam or Chalitza. At that stage, they're not allowed to eat truma. Why not? Ibas Kohen Israel, he passed love Yavam, if it's in the direction where she was really born a Kohen and she married Yisrael, then the Yisrael passed away. And there's a question about you doing Yibam. We say, don't eat Truma. Why? Can't eat Truma. Because the verse says that she's returning to her father's home. But here she's not returning to her father's home. She's waiting to do Yibam or Chalitza. So therefore she's not allowed to eat Truma like she was with her father. And so too in the other way. A very strong language here. A very important language. It says here that if it was a Yisrael, she was born as a Yisrael. She married the Kohen. The Kohen then passed away. And now she has to do Yibam to the brother-in-law, Yibam Rechalitza to the brother-in-law. At that stage, before they do Yibam Rechalitza, she's not allowed to eat Truma. Why? Because in order to eat Truma as a wife, you have to be Kinyan Kaspo. You have to be uh, acquired by, so to speak, by your husband. And here says the Gemara that in the case of Shemar Yisrael, where you're waiting to do Yibam Rechalitza with the brother-in-law, you it's not viewed as... Um, as Kinan Kaspo, as uh, a new ownership or a new relationship, but it's really an extension of the brother, the deceased brother. A very powerful language here. This Zika, this connection, is based off of the brother. And so therefore she can't eat Truma because it's only when it's viewed as based off of the actual marriage. So then she's allowed to eat Truma. But this Yibam scenario is based off the brother. And so therefore, at, until they actually do Yibam, if they do Yibam, she certainly could have Truma. Now it's viewed as a complete marriage. But until they do Yibam... We say that she's not allowed to eat truma. Okay, one. Uh, so we'll stop here. This is uh, we'll stop here with. Uh, move, next time we'll discuss the next case of Arison, uh, but this is just the very beginning of the commentary on this mission. Now we'll see more uh, in next week's recording.